Hey, Jordan, how's it going? Hey, Rob, what's up? Um, this is exciting, right? Being on location. It's nice to get out yeah. of the office. Um, yep. We are talking to, uh, for the podcast this week, talking to a Twitch streamer, Lucid Fox. So it's just really cool to be here uh, at Langley in the Twitch division to see where all the magic happens. Uh, I know Luce is not quite finished with his stream yet, but just looking around, it's incredible. Uh, seeing all the personalities. I see Liv over there. She's doing her stream in her cubicle there. There's, of course, Hassan. It's really oh, amazing yeah. to be here behind the scenes and see all the Twitch personalities that we know and love uh, doing what they do best. It's really incredible. I'm, I'm usually seeing it you know, from the other end. I'm usually seeing it from the from the, the computer perspective. So it's really cool to be here and see how the magic happens. Yeah, I was just walking down the hall. I went to go get some water and saw the um, SOS Cuba like hashtag force uh, over in the corner. And the, yeah, the, yeah. just the amazing work they've been doing. I thought that was so cool. And it really just shows uh, the most bang for your buck for your tax dollars. You're getting all of these digital assets shaping the minds of Americans. Uh, and it's all happening right here. So just to see where the sausage is made is pretty pretty remarkable. Yeah. I mean, I have been doing my own Twitch streaming. I haven't, you know, been invited yet to join the, the official community here. I'm hoping to eventually uh, mm -hmm. be able to take my place. I've, you know, of course, we've had conversations. Probably, I have yeah, other stuff going on. Yeah, lost in the mail or something. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, we'll, we'll get there eventually. Eventually, I'll get, I'll get invited into this circle. But in the meantime, though, it's just really impressive to, to see all these, these uh, leftist Twitch personalities all in the same place doing what they do best, engaging their communities, uh, and ultimately seeding them with, with uh, State Department propaganda, which is what it's all about. Really magical. Yeah, it's important that they do this because there's no way the left could just cannibalize itself organically. Exactly. It's really important. It's really vital work. Um, anyway, I think Lucid's going to be finished pretty soon so we can get to our talk with him soon in the meantime did you want to go head down to the cafeteria because I, I told lance from the surf so we could go grab lunch in the cafeteria you down let's go yeah all right let's do it uh, <clears throat> uh. okay uh hello hello and welcome everyone it's the Insurgents episode 72. You got Rob Rousseau here. What's going on, Rob? Along with Jordan Ewell is also there. How Not are much you? is going on. I'm good. I'm good. I'm actually taking a little break. I'm like in vacation mode right now. Um, vacation I've been mindset. Spending time. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm still in vacation mindset. I was just, I woke up today, this morning, at a beautiful sort of lakeside uh, scene with where I've been spending some time with my family. Very nice. Uh, and then I had I drove down to uh, to my my basement to uh, toil away in the content mines for a couple of days, and I'm just thrilled. I'm just thrilled to be here, doing oh, yeah. my doing my Twitch stream and the and the podcast. Absolutely love it. So that's what I'm that's when, what I'm up to right now. When you love your work, when you love your job, you're never working a day in your life. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 tremendous. Um, how is it going with you? How have you been doing? Uh. Uh, fine. I think I, it's been a couple okay. weeks since we've done this. I realized, like, I went to New York for a couple of days, which was nice. Saw some of our friends. That was a nice getaway. Uh, had some great New York City bagels, baby. That was that was good. That 
that's it. Inferior that's to Montreal bagels, but I'm, I'm sure they're very good. <laughs> is though. Montreal really a bagel city? Oh yeah, yeah. That's what really? been one of the main things we're known for. Montreal I bagels. It was racism. <laughs> it's maybe a little bit rich coming from uh, the. Now we're good here. U.S. of A. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the, yeah, very good bagels, definitely. But I'm sure yours were good too. Yeah, yeah, they were good. That was yeah, that was like I can't remember what else I did. Maybe at the fundraiser, went to New York. Yeah, just kind of chilling, um, playing Fortnite, hanging out. I was like, you know, kind of considering maybe a late summer <laughs> vacation or trip, and now I don't oh feel confident making those plans because of the Delta variant. So, yeah, feeling okay. You missed that little. You missed that that like six week window where the, we could pretend that the pandemic was over. Yeah, dude. Uh, you know what sucks? I was like, this twenty twenty was supposed to be. I don't know if I've talked about this. Like twenty twenty was supposed to be my year you know the year of me. yeah so the you know after college i like worked and, and took on like extra work on the side to, to make ends meet and then got like you know an okay job but then like started to go into grad school at night so for a few like three and a half years i was in grad school and then uh 2020 comes and i just get out of grad school at the end of 2019 it's like 2020 i'm gonna travel i'm gonna go see the world i'm gonna go hike all these different <laughs> places it's gonna be great and obviously life has other plans and here we are halfway through uh 2021 and uh yep same situation yeah we're still and we're looking we're looking down the barrel at a, at a whole other year of this and we talked a little bit about this actually with our guest uh lucid fox um, just about how it seems like as a result of the sort of fear mongering and the disinformation that has been propagated on right wing media, it's now looking like the pandemic may very well kind of get back to levels that we kind of we thought we were surpassed. Um, and now you can see people on the right in both the political sphere and the media sphere start to kind of freak out about this and are starting now to try and push people to get the vaccine. Um, it's a kind of interesting phenomenon. We talked about this with uh, with uh, Lucid Fox. He's going to come on the show in just a few minutes. I want to ask you though, because you said you. I heard that you were. Um, I heard you mention that you were around. There was that shooting outside of the Washington Nationals game uh, a few days ago, um, which was really, really like terrifying footage to kind of see this at a professional baseball game and hear the shots and you see the the players react and you saw like players letting people into the to the dugout, uh, people that were running around or escaping from this possible shooting. No one knew it was happening. It seemed really, really uh, terrifying. And you said that you experienced a bit of the aftermath of that. What was what happened with that? Yeah, I was downtown for dinner that night and was leaving right around the right right after the shooting. And it's really remarkable how. Hold on, hold on a second. <laughs> I can I can hear the cat. You can hear that totally stupid mental. cat. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Jordan's obviously not caring for the cat properly. All right, put her in the bathroom. I'm gonna start that again. She's oh, like, yeah. she won't shut up. And I can't put her in the bedroom because my my partner's about to stream. So she's getting set up in there. <laughs> That's what we've got a dual setup going on now. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's kind of a hype house. It is. <laughs> um. So Saturday night, I'm down uh, in downtown for dinner. And a friend sends me a clip um, of the shooting and the aftermath of people evacuating, knowing that I'm down there. And just says, hey, as a heads up, and this is about when we're leaving the restaurant. So we get to the train and we're taking the metro home and it is, you know, packed with Nationals fans. 
and these are people who are just joking, laughing, whatever, you would if on if you had no contextual awareness, you would think the game ended under normal circumstances and everyone's just kind of hanging out uh, on the train. So what stood out to me was this is this is a country where we're so desensitized to mass shootings that people who just 30 minutes before survived one don't even it doesn't even register for them yeah it's not like and, it doesn't register in the news cycle it literally doesn't register with yeah. the actual people physically that are yeah. being like affected <laughs> yeah. by it unbelievable and then Very i saw that up. clip and you and i were talking about earlier the clip of that eight-year-old girl who was interviewed by the local news and they're like what did you think and her response was oh well this is my second shooting so i'm i was okay and yeah. just like eight years old and this is her second shooting she survived yeah i i, I can't i can't i when when what's it going to take for people to care because sandy hook obviously wasn't enough like Parkland obviously wasn't enough. Aurora, Pulse, all this stuff was never enough. So what's it going to take for them to actually act on gun control? Yeah, I mean, it's traditionally, I don't believe the sign of a super healthy society when you have like seven, eight year olds being like, oh, this is my second shooting. It's actually not that big of a deal. Um, right. Just, I mean, just seeing some of the like the really horrific scenes from like daycares and and elementary schools where you have teachers like in educating young kids and trying to go through these drills and stuff about shooting doing little poems about how to avoid the mass shooting it's so fucking disturbing uh i don't know the first thing about how this gets resolved i mean that's the thing it's like i try and and avoid the sort of comparisons about the u.s and canada and i always try to remind people that canada when it comes to america is plagued by a lot of the same problems uh the, a lot of the same kind of like inequality the same kind of racism the same kind of genocidal history the same genocidal foreign policy um this is one area though where you there is this kind of stark difference this level of gun violence um the and the sort of the way it's been normalized uh, it's it's incredibly disturbing, and I don't know the the first thing about how you begin to confront that problem. I mean, you mentioned Sandy Hook. That to me is should really be the moment where, if anything was ever going to happen, um, in terms of just trying to do some kind of basic. I don't think the government should go house to house and start confiscating people's weapons or any of that stuff. I think that would be pretty much futile. There are so many millions of guns in the United States that it wouldn't make a lot of sense. It would primarily target, you know, uh, black and brown communities and marginalized people, as we all know. I don't know what the solution is, though, because to me, if that if that's the moment, if that moment comes when you have, you know, small children being killed in a shooting like that so horrifically, so tragically, and just nothing happens, not even not even a cursory a small a small gesture to kind of indicate that that something is going to go down to like re- reduce the ability uh, of people to get their hands on deadly weapons people that are intend to use them in this terrible way when that moment came and passed and nothing happened it just felt like it, you know it's just not going to happen in America and to a certain extent Americans have just decided that that's part of what it is to to live in that society is just to to have constantly have that threat and just that's part of part of what it is now uh, in 2021 to live in America. And it's a very frightening thought. It's very, very disturbing. I, you know, I don't know the first thing about what you would do to, to resolve that. That's the American way. It's, it's no matter how disastrous or cancerous or violent an industry, if someone out there stands to make money, lobbyists will be out there pressuring Congress uh, to block any action on it. And we're just going to have to live with gun violence, it seems, forever. We're just going to shootings are going to be a part of American society. And that's where we're heading towards coronavirus. It's just 
because we can't really do anything because it's 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 a partisan culture war. We can't we can't do anything about it. We're just gonna have to live with it. We're gonna have to live with it like we live with the flu. No matter, even though it's more dangerous, more transferable, more infectious, and, and more lethal, and that's where we're eventually going to be with climate change. Can't do anything on climate change because people can make money on on hazardous processes. So you're just going to have to live with extreme weather events for the rest, of, and that's just going to be called weather. So that's it. That's that's the future for us. <sighs> Pretty grim stuff, Jordan. You know, I'm sometimes excited. I try to, I try to, I try to view the good things in America. I try to, you know. Hold on to the things you know. There's many Americans that I that I like a lot. Many of my friends are American. Sometimes it's hard to take a look at some of this stuff and feel a whole lot of hope that America's ever going to get its act together. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, <laughs> I, I don't know what to do about America. It's a pretty messed up country you got down there. What can I say? I'd say I'd say. Let's bring on Twitch streamer Lucid Fox. Uh, we had a really enjoyable conversation with Lucid. I really enjoy checking out his stream. Um, He's good. He's really good. Yeah, he is good. He is going to be joining the program right after this. joined by lucid fox who you might know from twitch who has a a regular stream and i would say way better than rob's stream so if you're on the fence i'd say okay. go watch lucid's um yeah. so lucid thank we you for joining in the intro <laughs> <laughs> no problem though hey listen it is a very good stream it is it's a great I, I stream yeah. we don't need to get into the rankings and who's better yeah. than who i mean that's i mean we can't we've got time we just started we've got an hour let's sure, do it sure. Yeah, well, we and that's the thing. I think we were going to talk about other things, but we can talk about like how we're all better than you, Rob. That's uh, that's solid podcast common, material. Yeah, common talking point that comes up on here pretty often. Sure, uh, sure. But Lucid, we we start these conversations off with with you know a fastball. We don't, you know, this isn't this isn't kind of you know your Larry King style interview. We we mm-hmm. are we're here to you know ask the tough questions so first sure. question we ask everybody just to get a lay, a lay of the land are you a gamer yeah no of course i'm i'm literally playing death's door right now oh let's go like right at this yeah. moment uh well you know uh, who knows <laughs> <laughs> no i've been i've been playing uh death death's door is like this little uh dark souls like isometric style game i've been playing that for the past couple of days your little crow that's just trying to you know be a reaper Nice. Uh, what yeah. is New World? I just saw this out of nowhere take over the gaming cate- oh, categories on Twitch. What is it? It's uh, Amazon's attempt at an MMO. Um, it's burning oh, out um, 3090s right now because it has poor uh, memory optimization. And Interesting. Yeah, and uh, it is. Uh, it's not my flavor of MMO for sure. Uh, it might strike for some people, and obviously, um, as as we kind of know, first of all. Uh, twitch it belongs to amazon so mm-hmm. it would make sense that they would be putting quite a bit of uh marketing uh money into having streamers play it so uh, i'll that i'll be sense. interested to see what happens a couple of months out to see if people are still as interested as they are now no one's reached out to me about this i mean i am a twitch influencer verified partnered mm-hmm. twitch account well, yeah. kind of we'll weird that i haven't been contacted about this i mean maybe i'm just on the 
the waiting list or whatever is probably sure. Oh no, 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 they're gonna get to yeah, you real soon. Yeah. Don't worry about <laughs> tomorrow. It's probably coming tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, I was I was just talking to Jeffy Bezos, uh, Bezos I call him, and uh, yeah. you know he Our said boss. Rob, that guy. I got to get him on the uh, the New World. Yeah, and so, I would yeah, I, I think... would appreciate that. <laughs> that all makes sense though, because I had never heard of this game, and then yesterday I opened Twitch. Yep. And it was one of the most watched categories, and I thought there was, and, and also none of the stream titles disclosed that it was an ad, so it must have yeah. been some they, sort they have of put um, just to just to kind of paint a picture for you. They have put uh, ad money into this or uh, marketing money into this game for years now. I mean, they were uh, when TwitchCon still existed in the before times. Uh, mm. They were they were paying people's whole trips, hotel stays, everything. To, to kind of like you know give them a thank you for just being influencers for new world so again none of that's gonna uh, affect anyone's opinion whatsoever <laughs> of the video game they're gonna be playing it's gonna be totally fine yeah this is this is this i've been saying this for years we want more integrity in video game journalism that's it yeah <laughs> thank you for all you're always if only there was a cause articles I can get about behind. this yeah yeah right. <laughs> message boards that i don't they seem a little much for my me buddy Ian and I talk about this constantly. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> You're always saying this. Um, are you playing anything interesting, new Jordan? No, just Fortnite. Um, the new Magic Wait, set came out. Actually, a little bit. I dabble. Huh. Have you played? Okay. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, nah, yeah, you know, I, I I love that game, and I got, I think Rob is now hooked. Um, mm-hmm. Lou said I saw after the fundraiser. You, I saw you. We don't. You were playing later in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe i was Sorry just like you. just i was playing ironically just to stab yeah, a, just yeah, so yeah. i could talk about how bad it is <laughs> it's okay joke. to think yeah. it's fun it's a fun game there's like i this is it is it so is I, I i was explaining this to my my community if it didn't have building in it i feel like i'd, I'd spend infinitely more time and yeah uh, i'm Fortnite. kind of in the same boat you know mm-hmm. like if it was just a, a cartoonish a shooter much. then then that'd be one thing it got way more fun once i learned how to build like yeah. Last year, I kind of with the pandemic, I was playing with guys who were really good, and mm-hmm. they all knew how to build. And I was like, "Okay, fuck, I want to keep playing with these guys because we win." <laughs> but I don't mm-hmm. want to be dead weight, so I just started watching YouTube tutorials on how to build and edit and learn sure. that way. Sure. Um, but mostly that, and then magic. I'm I, sure you felt really good about wizards. yourself watching these YouTube tut- tutorials about building on Fortnite mm-hmm. from twelve from as twelve an adult year olds. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thirty three year old, probably the most miserable state of my life, having some twelve year old on YouTube tell me how to edit a brick wall Three in the morning. <laughs> right. Uh, how's oh, COVID been for you? I don't know, man. I, I don't really know. That's how to fine, answer I guess. That I'm doing okay. I'm holding up, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, and here I am. 34 and in pretty much the same position sure sure <laughs> wonderful I, I get that yeah no but so you mentioned like uh uh our boss Je- jeff bezos mm-hmm. i mean we're all on twitch i mean mm-hmm. lucid and i are of course as i mentioned earlier the verified partner streamers Jordan, not quite there yet which is yeah, yeah. you know eventually he's gonna get there not our time yeah um, i don't stream <laughs> I, <laughs> last well, night my, my partner was like oh you should stream Fortnite tonight and just kind of I, I don't want to and I've got my that's, thing on TYT, that's good, and that's fine. That's a good impulse that you've got. Yeah, just yeah. don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have this. <laughs> yeah. But um, as, we, as we saw um, with our boss, Jeff Bezos, uh-huh. yeah, yesterday, his really remarkable, historic, suborbital flight, pretty impressive stuff, amazing stuff. All of humanity was united in watching this yeah. and, and cheering for uh, a certain outcome to happen. <laughs> We were all united in this. It was very... We all we all had different reasons for watching. I like yeah. to think, but uh, everybody was interested. Sure, 
<laughs> I do. I do find it funny though that like they're making a big, they're making such a big deal about this with both well, Richard Branson and, and Jeff Bezos. These suborbital, right? Uh, yeah, like, hey, we're just flying into space. It's like you're not, you're not flying into space. Let's Meanwhile, be clear you're, about this. Yuri Gagarin somewhere, just like, hey, what did I do? You know, what's up? <laughs> yeah, I was also <laughs> suborbital yesterday. No one, no one threw many, mm-hmm. many parades. No one asked to interview me on the news or. Talk about these things. We were all suborbital yesterday, but for, for sure. some reason, we got to celebrate Jeff Bezos for getting there. <laughs> well, they talked about it. Uh, I, I saw I saw uh, an infograph of uh, you know um, talk minutes, and apparently they spent uh, about three quarters uh, the amount of time talking about Jeffrey Bezos and his uh, blue uh, origin launch. Uh, they spent three quarters the amount of time uh, as that as they did on climate change for all of twenty twenty. So I did see exciting. that as well. Yeah, yeah, very, very exciting stuff. I agree. <laughs> so I like where our priorities, you know, as a <laughs> as a species are right now. That uh, uh, billionaires going to space is just a heck of a thing. Well, it's not like we have any newsworthy like climate catastrophes no, happening God, right no. now. No. That could, cover, could you imagine? So. No, <laughs> like it's, it's just, just it's kind of slow. Here. If there was a slow like, news week in climate yeah. world. Yeah, I mean, imagine if there was like a single like city in, in China that had received like a year's worth of rainfall in like a day or something. God, that would be something. Yeah, what but, if? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> terrifying. Cast in like scenarios, but I like at the same time. I saw a headline today that that fire in Oregon is so large that it has its own weather patterns. Did Hell you yeah. see this? That's how bad this this has gotten. So naturally, we need to cover Jeff Bezos uh, catching a skittle in his mouth. Yeah, at the same, yeah, yeah. nearly the same altitude that OK Go filmed a music video, just, <laughs> I think, to, just to put things in perspective. The more, the more uh, pressing thing for me, I think, is like post uh, space Jeff Bezos and the clarity they kind of got from that. Uh, yes, of course. He said, he said, like, uh, you know, I like most people get uh, what's called the overview effect, right? Where you're just like, oh, this thing we have to protect it; it's so fragile. And he's just like the pale blue dot. Yeah, the pale blue dot, right? And he's he's just like, okay, but what if we polluted space too? Yeah, you're like, yeah, okay, I guess that's not would that that would be my first choice. That's one takeaway. Yeah, okay. (laughs) What if we made it bad up here too? Yeah, I mean, we could, man, but like, how we don't? Um, Rack the moon. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. (laughs) But it's so it was it was two incredibly grotesque things that he said. in that post press conference, not only were he first just like suggest like, oh yeah, all this polluting machinery and all this industry, we just gonna move that into space. Yeah, just like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, no, no problem. We're gonna get we're gonna get our oil in space now. Um yeah, or frack the moon, like you were saying. Uh just like that's this easy thing. That's this easy answer to this cataclysmic uh, crisis we're facing down. And then also one of those things where it's just like you you really realize how these guys live in a completely other universe. Because mm-hmm. this comes across as something just so completely tone deaf, just like admitting something so grotesque. But he's like, you know, uh, all those Amazon workers and customers, you paid for this. And it's yeah. like, are you serious, oh, Jeff? Are you really? It's <laughs> the power of grassroots. That? Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's something that I think uh, whenever whenever I go out uh, on on Amazon.com and I float around and I'm like, I could, I could really use a USB drive or something. I'm like, I hope that this money's going to a good cause. Like, uh, letting an <laughs> yeah. extremely rich person uh, flirt with his, uh, you know, moonshot ideas of going into suborbital space. And I just, like, I don't... You see these kind of journalists uh, kind of desperately flailing 
mm-hmm. to kind of harken back to this the era of the 60s and the space race and this idea that we're coming together for this common purpose and this beautiful thing. But it's just like, and you see some of these guys trying to uh, use that kind of rhetoric like Branson, mm-hmm. talking about how this is going to open up space to people from all different ethnic backgrounds and sexualities and stuff. But it's like, we're not talking, it's not like, it's not like average working class people are going to be like, oh, hey, hey, honey, you want to go on a little trip to space? Uh, this week, this is this affordable thing that we can do now because <laughs> yeah. of visionaries like Richard Branson. I'm like, no, this is a this is like a amusement park ride for the absolute wealthiest and most privileged people in the world. Would they were saying like what somebody uh, paid like a couple million, twelve million dollars for a uh, spot that he just couldn't? Uh, yeah, I just you know, can't make it. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't make it. <laughs> like a scheduling conflict. Yeah, like oh man, uh, I I feel like. Personally, if I ever spent $12 million on something, uh, there's literally nothing. St- there could be a, a tiger defending like the door <laughs> on the way out. And I'd be like, okay, well, I guess I have to murder a tiger today uh, because I spent $12 million to do this thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's for them. They're just like, ah, well, you know, we'll reschedule. It'll be fine. Like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> sure. I guess one thing that's kind of funny is to see the amount of people just being like, I don't care. <laughs> and and that's the thing, right? I think there was definitely well, well. There's a couple of uh, pieces that go along with that, right? Like the the space race of the '60s was also kind of predicated upon some other like coinciding narratives of the time, like you know we we're trying to race the Soviet Union and other world powers to get to you know to to prove that we were uh, that American exceptionalism was not dead and that we were the best of the best. Uh, and then we kept moving the, the you know, whatever that milestone was because the Soviets kept, uh, you know, beating us at every turn. <laughs> so so I think there was a different atmosphere kind of surrounding that space race. Um, but I, yeah, I just, I don't think, uh, you know, in this day and age where most people, uh, you, you kind of look at like the income inequality within the uh, United States, like not to even mention like uh, abroad in other countries, I think most people are just kind of worried about what they're going to be doing at the end of the year. If they're going to be like maintaining their job, they're going to be able to keep their house or keep paying rent. I don't think most people are predisposed with like, oh, we're going to space again, huh? Oh, that's that's awesome. I just I don't think it's a concern concern of the normal like working person. Yeah, I mean, there's there's working class issues um, like strikes and um, you know we saw between the working conditions that Frito-Lay employees are mm-hmm. dealing with and the strikes in Alabama. These are newsworthy subjects that will never get the light of day in, on, on, on corporate media. And I think about how this is you, – you mentioned it earlier, uh, Rob, about Richard Branson's comments trying to invoke some sort of identity politics to apply some equitable veneer to what's going on. And really, this is just another reminder of how concentrated the wealth is at the top. You know, Jeff Bezos is someone who really isn't paying his fair share of taxes. And we did see a good progressive push on the left to try to use this moment to talk about that. Um, Mm -hmm. But when you you just flip on CNN and you've got a fucking Vanderbilt and and Anderson Cooper talking to Bezos and Jim Mm -hmm. Shudo firing off tweets like, uh, excuse my mostly incurable optimism, but could two successful (laughs) private space launches in nine days be something all Americans rally around together and just getting widely panned for such a ludicrous comment? Like this is something that the Soviets did with technology far inferior to a modern cell phone in in mm-hmm. in the sixties. So, like, who who cares? Like, literally, right. who cares? There are there are no milestones to hit. I mean, you know, if you're private industry, of course, you're like, oh, okay, well, this is this is something that might separate uh, the the top one percent kind of away from some of their uh, some of their money. But 
I don't I don't think this is something that's even even looks close to achievable for you know the the working or even the middle class or the upper middle class for the the foreseeable future. Yeah, absolutely not. There's there's nothing for so so even on the the idea of like you know corporatist and investor class. I don't think they're like oh well finally you know now we can hoodwink some people out of their money. It's like no, this is still going to be prohibitively expensive for the vast amount of people. So I don't know who this was for besides two billionaires that had to you know prove uh, that they could go into space for a couple of minutes. With Bezos Jeff- in particular too, it was really like the all time like newly divorced guy move. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you have to admit when he's walking away in his special little blue suit with his big hat and stuff, walking away you know, from his special big boy space space launch. It's like, good you know, job, I, Jeff. I hadn't thought of that. You know, some <laughs> some guys go out and they're like, you know what? I'm going to prove her wrong. I'm going to go buy that muscle car that I always wanted. And instead, Bezos is like, I'm going to space. Yeah, All right. <laughs> and like, he's wholly reliant on federal funding uh, yeah. for this as well. Absolutely. Uh, and even when he didn't get a grant that I think SpaceX got. Uh, Cantwell, who's his senator, or one of his, I think his one of his senators, mm-hmm. um, it put uh, submitted an amendment to another bill to try to get him another ten billion dollars that way. Yeah. Um. So, like, he, he's he's got allies in Congress who are going to continue siphoning money out of federal coffers. When in, I think the the total NASA budget is something like twenty billion, right. uh, and they're like giving him half of NASA's total budget for his little like space playground mm-hmm. um it's oh, just a reminder privatizing well, space like, you know well, and that's yeah. that's what that's what i hate about like the 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 idea of like you know the the futurists and technocrats out there and they're like well it's a good thing that jeff is doing this because eventually uh the the privatization of the space industry is going to uh trend towards it being more affordable and it's just gonna be better for you know everybody and it's like i don't think you understand how that uh works uh necessarily <laughs> Yeah, I think it's something for me. It's been it's been an evolution for me on this because I think I was someone that even like 10, 15 years ago, I really was kind of fascinated with the idea of space exploration and and mm-hmm. and, and believing in that kind of future of mankind visiting other planets and stuff. And you know, believe, I really was a fan of like Carl Sagan and 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 figures like this. Uh, you know, I always really enjoyed and and loved his series uh, Cosmos and his the you know I mentioned the pale blue dot yeah, earlier that kind yeah. of famous quote. I've always had a real fascination with that, but I think it's really taken this like grotesque spin, you know, where it's just like none of these kind of lofty ideals are really there anymore, despite the fact that they might be trying to artificially graft them onto the, uh, onto the whole endeavor. And I mean, sure. people are trying to spin it like it's some victory of, um, of capitalism. Like you're saying, when not only are these specific projects being publicly funded, but it's all based on technology that was publicly funded in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's not some, some grand victory of capitalism or some evidence that like that capitalist innovation is somehow going to, going to rescue us. Um, it's just really, it's the opposite. And, and I don't doubt also that Bezos, you know, when he talks about industry happening in space, I mean, I don't doubt that there are many, uh, powerful people involved in these kind of circles that do believe that that's where the future of industry is and getting into asteroid mining and all this shit. Sure. Um, but this is going to be for their own benefit. I mean, it's not, it's not for the benefit of the humanity. It's not something to bring humanity close together. Uh, it's ultimately, it's for the benefit of these guys, massive egos, and also the shareholders of their companies that they're going to try and profit off it. And that's, that's all it is, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's kind of taken a very grotesque um, turn from the lofty ideals that people like Carl Sagan maybe once had when it, when it came to space exploration. Yeah, absolutely. 
But other than that, uh, full-throated support from all three of us for everything mm. else Jeff Bezos is doing. Yeah. 100%. Every, <laughs> yeah, everything else listening. that he's working on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Huge fan. Other, other than all that stuff, I'm a big fan. <laughs> Um, no, I did. I thought you mentioned it earlier. The comment he 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 made about oh, every Amazon employee and every Amazon customer made this happen. Like, and then just yesterday morning, you see the story out of uh, California where the woman who is dealing with uh, uh, her pregnancy and needs a lightened workload and just repeated denials from management and, and, and d- demanding she continue the same rigorous workload, take shorter bathroom breaks, keep up, like keep mm-hmm. her productivity levels up, and then she ends up having a fucking miscarriage. Yeah, um, disgusting. Just really horrific, grim stuff. It just shows what a barbaric uh, workplace uh, Amazon is, all to benefit him and and, and shareholders. Yeah, so we can launch this like penis-shaped rocket uh, into the into the stratosphere <laughs> and feel like a big man. Very cool. Instead, instead of the instead of the sports car, the the Corvette or whatever, that's what he went with. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, so what uh, else we got important. in the news to, this week, though? I mean, we 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 talked about the uh, the billionaire fake space race. I think we we're all kind of undecided on that, as we were just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I did want to get into uh, that came up this week is this unrest in in Cuba that's been happening. Mm-hmm. And the way that people within the United States that I think have been very uh, interested in doing regime change in Cuba for a very, very long time <laughs> immediately uh, gleamed onto this. I know I don't want to downplay the fact that there are legitimate issues in Cuba, especially with the economy, the way the economy has been devastated in the COVID pandemic and has devastated their tourism industry. Mm-hmm. But it's also impossible to notice the very same trends that we see coming from sort of the United States, uh, the media establishment, the intelligence community, who are trying to take these legitimate issues and try and spin it into a, into a way to finally lead them back into this world of like capitalist development, which I think as we can look around the Caribbean, throughout Central and South America, we know what capitalist development has looked like for these nations. Uh, and I think, you know, it's a little bit dangerous, this situation yeah. that Cuba's in uh, as a result. I, uh, yeah, I think that's right. I've, I've pointed out, uh, you know, a couple of times in my community, like, you know, for, for people that are really interested in this idea of regime change in Cuba, I mean, really look no further to what we've done with Haiti. And, and that's kind of going to give you an idea of what would happen if we uh, got into a full regime change operation uh kind of boots on the ground with uh with cuba right like uh it would it would just decimate these people uh that we've already uh spent a six years long campaign uh just trying to gut as much as we can and um i just i never understand whenever whenever like cuba comes up i never understand like the the full-throated support that comes like from from so many different vectors right like not just like you, you, you do kind of expect it from like a lot of the uh, the the conservative Cubans and uh, you know just conservatives in general. But even uh, some some of the left that's kind of jumping into the conversation as if they've you know got some skin in the game with like oh well you know ob- obviously uh, self determination. But you know I think it's wrong that they do X and Y. It's like but <laughs> why do you why do you need to be involved in the conversation of what? Like, do we do we not have enough going on on our own shores to to, to worry about currently? <laughs> do yeah, we not have police brutality to also focus on? Yeah, I mean, and often these conversations come from from people who uh, I think repeat talking points about mm-hmm. what life is like in Cuba, but don't really have a, haven't really done much look into what 
Cuban democracy actually entails. All right. Um, and just to just take this idea that because they have a different system that's set up, that average people in Cuba just don't have any input in how their government functions, which is just not really accurate when you actually dig into, you know, the the semantics of how democracy does work in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the thing that that drives me crazy about this um, is, you know, as you pointed out, there's been decades now of of economic warfare. Mm-hmm. On the part of the United States against this country, that's been happened through through sanctions, through this this economic blockade. It's been kind of done in a way that they can have this kind of plausible deniability when it comes to medical supplies and food. But in practice, this blockade does affect Cuba's ability to import these things. And it's very, very grotesque, I think, to me when I see people in the United States government, whether they're conservatives or whether they're people like Joe Biden, who come out and say things like, oh, we stand with the Cuban people, we, we support the Cuban people, while they're deliberately uh, carrying out this policy that very, very specifically has made life as difficult as possible for poor and working class people in Cuba for the exact reason that they then become discontented with the, the economic status quo. Sure. Um, it's like it's like I don't understand how American politicians can kind of claim to stand with stand with the people of Cuba while they're very intentionally making their lives worse. And, uh, you know, I'm in Canada and, and Canada has a different relationship with the blockade. I think technically we oppose the blockade, but I don't think that should let the government of Canada off the hook either because uh, as, as with this, as with every other foreign policy issue, we are basically like a faithful um, lapdog of the United States State Department. And if even if we might technically be opposed to the embargo, we're not really doing anything mean, meaningful to uh, right. ensure that there's the embargo no, there's was no lifted. There's no pressure actually no. being put on it, yeah. No, exactly. So I don't Besides, think Canada should you know, be a, a, a UN vote every, uh, you know, performative UN vote from every other country every year. Yeah, exactly. Uh. Um, but that's it. I just I don't see. It's very frustrating to have Americans have any kind of opinion about what should happen there because of these economic issues. That doesn't stop and start with we need to lift the blockade. We need to lift the embargo. You know, right. if you actually care, if you actually care about Cubans, you know, being able to achieve better material conditions or have access to things like medical supplies, which they're struggling with right now during this pandemic, well, then you have to lift the blockade. Like that's the, that's the first, second and third solution. Well, and I mean, a and lot of was, Americans aren't really that, there. That yet. was as much laid out by, uh, you know, their, uh, one of their ministers when, uh, he, he went to the UN, I think it was a month and a half ago. Uh, their foreign minister said, hey, um, there's two things that were problems that we're facing right now, and it's medical supplies and food production uh, supplies. And both of those are seeing, you know, we're, we're seeing problems getting both of those to the island right now. And we need to, you know, see that in higher frequency. The blockade is one of the biggest reasons that we're having a problem with this. And then lo and behold, you know, uh, a month and a half later, uh, there appears to be some discontent on Cuba uh, because people want more medical supplies and food it's like well yeah i think these problems were actually raised and nothing was addressed nothing was done about it because we can't stop the a blockade even during the midst of coronavirus um a bright spot so yes there's no there's no progress being made on ending the blockade but there are people on the left who are actually trying to do things and mm-hmm. a hero of mine medea Benjamin and code pink uh just raised like uh, $500,000 to cover the cost of like 6 million syringes um, and doses of the, the vaccine to, to ship them to Cuba. And they're, they're heading there now that uh, they just did a big send off and symbolic drop today. Um, and that's just the work of, of, of activists and organizers and, and small groups that would never get the type of attention that a group, uh, you know, a large uh 
Democratic or establishment group would get uh, in the press, but they they did it and <clears throat> to very little fanfare. So thanks to them because that's actually going to help. And similar that we saw, similar to to what's happening in in Iran during the pandemic, their their inability to access medical supplies because of us, um, mm-hmm. they're they're now buckling under the weight of the pandemic and in a much worse off situation because of us. And then people here throw up their hands like, wow, their, their government is crumbling. They can't take care of their citizens. We need to intervene. It's like, well, we did this. Sure. And the comparison to Haiti, I think, is an important point to point out as well, because I think when we see uh, the media establishment coalesce around these things and talk about the, the plight of certain dissidents while ignoring the plight of other dissidents, it shows you what the priorities are for the for the state in the United States, right? Absolutely. And how there has been uprisings in Haiti against the neoliberal establishment in Haiti, the 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 puppet government of of Moise in Haiti, which which culminated in his assassination a few weeks ago. Uh, there's been mass protests and uprisings in Haiti against. Uh, this this client government for now years, like literally three years of this. Mm-hmm. And this is never mentioned. This is never mentioned on the media. If you ask kind of the average people who just they consume world and international news via these big media companies, they'll have no idea that this is going on. And then the moment, you know, a couple dozen Cubans start uh, are trying to organize a protest to improve their material conditions, all of a sudden, this is the number one news store in every single news channel. You have every single American politician weighing in. I oh, yeah, um, every every ally comes out of the woodwork of yes, just like oh i yes. was always for cuban termination pitbull steps up to be you know the new puppet <laughs> dictator like uh, every everybody's just super interested in and he claimed we need to get bezos involved yeah pitbull cuban icon Optimus. jeff bezos yeah, yeah, yeah like, icon. Know, i just yeah it, it is it is always curious to me to see you know uh how how quickly uh it turns and of course, because people have been kind of programmed by that anti-cuban propaganda for generations at this point so of course we have uh a different relation with them than we might with Haiti because really our, our status with uh, Haiti is just non-involvement. Just kind of allowing, uh, you know, U.S. Uh, foreign policy and French foreign policy and other countries to kind of get involved at their whims in Haiti and ignoring what happens for the most part. Until they elect a president that wants to raise the minimum wage by 50 cents, and which at which right. point then they, they have to get in there and make sure that they're then deposed yeah, as, no, as then, soon as then possible. Then we need to obviously uh, <laughs> do some do some freedoming. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I also, too, because like you have to kind of walk this line, and we should point out, yeah, of course, of course, there's legitimate problems that people in Cuba are experiencing. Um you know, it would be foolish to suggest that that Cuba is some kind of like workers utopia. Like no one actually thinks this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there there are legitimate problems. We can debate about how much of these problems are deliberately caused by the United States, and I would say that's predom- that's the predominant main cause of a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think there you still have people that are kind of like downplaying the you know using the evidence that there is legitimate uh, unrest or discontent that's happening in this country, and then kind of downplay the assistance of the American intelligence community, like the CIA, in, in pushing these things along, which right. like we know is in their playbook. We know this is how it happens in every single country that they try and uh, do this kind of thing, where they enact these sanctions uh, deliberately to uh, make the economy as chaotic as possible and disruptive as possible. They, they create the exact situations where people feel the need to express this unrest. And then they, of course, push it along on the ground and have people on the ground um, trying to instigate that and trying to make it more chaotic and trying to push it even further. This playbook has been used just time and time again throughout the Caribbean, throughout 
Latin America, Africa, Southeast Asia, all over the world. And still, I think the thing I find kind of frustrating is when you see these clear signs of what is happening uh, start to start to take place in Cuba, you still have people that are like, well, hey, hold on now. Like, let's not just claim that the CIA is res- responsible for everything or well, let's pump the brakes on some of this conspiracy theory uh, CIA talk. Right. But after a certain point, we have to be aware that this is their playbook that my, happens time and time again, and we have to see it when it starts happening. My poor, sweet CIA. Yeah, would never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you never saying? Are you saying thing. they've ever conducted things like Operation Mongoose or Condor or any of these things that might have had uh, something to do with uh, the sovereignty <laughs> of other nations? I don't believe yeah. it. Well, that's the thing. It's that we always have to wait. We we always have to give them the benefit of the doubt, and then we wait. 30 years for the documents to be declassified and then then right. we can denounce it afterwards once we know for sure but when it's happening we have to ensure that we we uh we don't get our tinfoil hats on and get too conspiratorial about the possible role of the u.s intelligence community <laughs> right on the haiti thing there were you know there's those reports emerging initially oh and also like haiti uh, officials in haiti asked for for u.s ground support uh, yeah. in the country and, and <laughs> uh i think biden initially said no um and then there was a report that came out a couple of days later that, you know, folks at the Pentagon were considering the request. And I tweeted that out because, it's, you know, that's that's concerning and knowing that they just will, mm-hmm. you know, they, they could send like contractors there or, or agents or whatever. And they had already it was already uh, established that they were going to send FBI agents, DHS, and I think one more department. Uh, representatives from these different departments maybe not troops themselves but they're going to send all of these other intelligence uh, officers down there uh, to help with the situation i tweeted that out and said and, and pointed out how they said they were considering um uh also the, the troop request and all of these liberals were like biden already said no biden said no troops and it's like do you think they're just gonna fucking like you think they can't change their mind or they would just do something different? And then the very next well, day, thank, Jen Psaki says it's not off the table and they are considering <laughs> sending troops down there. So it's like, they, in, in, what, in what world? And when are they finally going to wake up and realize that the, like time and time again, history has repeated itself. Like we've shown what we're willing and capable of doing in the global south. And there's nothing that really holds us back. What? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, people just seem to think that, that, that somehow it's going to change now because Biden's in charge. And Jordan, I don't know what you're talking about. I remember when uh, Obama closed uh, Guantanamo all those years ago. <laughs> day when one. I think about yep. that. Promises, yeah, day, promises made, promises kept. Yeah, and mm-hmm. when I think about that, I think to myself, if, if we can do that, there's nothing we can't do, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, you joke, but... To Obama's credit, I mean, I've been a big critic of Obama's foreign policy. It was, it was a disgusting, blood-soaked, uh, horrific foreign policy. Mm-hmm. But one of the good things Obama's foreign policy did do was kind of attempt to normalize relationships with Cuba. They did. And they did. start yep. to undo yep. some it, of this. It got like, to immediately their rolled back, but they did. Yeah, that's yep. to their credit, they did. And that's the kind of fucked up thing is that Donald Trump immediately rolled back all these positive developments that they made uh, in terms of normalizing these relations. And since taking office, I mean, Joe Biden could have reinstituted mm-hmm. these these new sort of set of protocols with regards to Cuba. Day one, he has and yet to do so. There's to. zero yep. daylight between between the Trump's foreign policy with Cuba and with Biden's administration. Zero I'm daylight whatsoever. Absolutely. You know, for all people calling him the most, uh, you know, progressive thing since FDR, I, I don't, especially on the grounds of foreign policy, I just see, uh, you know, uh, quite a quite a few lacking like areas where he's he's got the uh, ability to jump in and uh, try to fix some things, and uh, he's got the concentration camps down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, of course, of course, and I think I think that's important to remember. 
Um, on the Cuba thing specifically, I, I, I worked at the University of D.C. And when that mm-hmm. happened, you know, one of the big pushes was establishing educational partnerships because, and this is a little bit of foreshadowing, Cuba's education system, literacy rates are great. Um, and they have a great education system. So we established a partner- partnership with the University of Havana mm-hmm. Law School, like immediately. And we set a bunch of people down there and it was going to be our sister school in Cuba. Now that everyone was excited. Joe Biden and Dr. Jill Biden, who is an educator, were huge, par- huge parts of this federal push to celebrate Cuba's education system. And then it comes time for the primary in 2020. And Mm. All of a sudden, Bernie's saying, that's basically like, hey, Cuba's education system is great. And Bernie's like, yeah, their literacy rates are great. And they're like, oh, how fucking dare you, dude? Did you just say they're good? And it was just like, they're just like smearing him repeatedly for daring to suggest that their literacy rates improving was a good thing. Yeah. Loves Castro. No, that's one thing I will never forget, actually, covering that primary about how after I've mentioned this probably numerous times on the show, the listeners are probably sick of me talking about it, but I will never forget this because like after Nevada, after that historic victory, mm-hmm. when everyone was so excited, you had this amazing coalition coming together. Bernie Sanders is winning the first couple of primaries. It looks like he's on his way to cruising to the nomination and the entire media cycle for the next like two weeks until South Carolina was not about that. It was about Bernie Sanders praising Fidel Mm. Castro's literacy programs in the 1980s. That's just so disgusting. And it was like, I was just completely stunned just avoiding the very the very the story that was in everyone's face about what bernie was accomplishing at that point but like you're pointing out going against like what the democratic party was saying just a few years ago with people like like obama and biden himself uh making positive statements to the same effect and that completely doesn't matter and he got completely like um thrown under the bus by the democratic party you had like pete Buttigieg putting out ads saying like well if you don't want a democratic nominee to praise dictators then vote for me and that kind of stuff that was their whole that was the main storyline uh that was how they used to 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 uh kneecap bernie's campaign it was actually very effective Mm -hmm. and in the 2016 dnc platform there is a line that specifically says in cuba we will build on president obama's historic opening and end the travel ban and embargo we will also stand by the cuban people and support their ability to decide their own future and enjoy the same human rights and freedoms blah 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 the self-determination bullshit and like ultimately calling for regime regime change but like they want they wanted to end the embargo something biden is currently not doing doesn't support and this is something then normalizing those relations and, and maintaining those normalized relations was something that they wanted now all of a sudden that's that's out the window i um, i almost wonder if it kind of ties to the the saber rattling that we do with china right now and kind of trying to maintain united front against just the idea of communism full stop well, it's the new Red Scare. That's right. the thing. It's, like, there's, I, I it's, think, we're much farther along into that than we were, uh, I think, in, in 2015, 2016. Right. You know? And I think, and I think, as always, Cuba, you know, this this small island to the south of us just maintains as a, as a victim of our foreign policy elsewhere and just kind of being a, a, a collateral damage of whatever, you know, larger communist entity we have to, uh, you know, tilt uh, windmills at, right? This is, uh, I mean, so much of this, we saw this in the language from Democrats when the protests in Cuba were flaring up because they they wanted to try to play both sides. And Mm -hmm. uh, it was like, okay, well, you know what? This Some of them specifically named that the embargo was bad. A few of them did. But even the Democrats who were trying to weigh in carefully would say things like, we have to fight authoritarianism around the world. We see a lot of that with China. That is such a rhetorical trap. 
We're not the country that needs to do that. We're not the people that need to do that. That is it. That is cover for hawks and moderates to get their mm-hmm. way. And they do, they, they are already employing the same playbook that they've been doing with China. They're calling on China to answer for its human rights abuses with the Uyghurs. And now they're doing the exact same thing just today. Senate Republicans are trying to do the exact same thing for human rights abuses in Cuba. Look at our fucking border. Look at the right. human rights abuses at our border. Why don't they care about that? Why don't they care about the surveillance of Muslims or p- people being killed by police here? Or people living in poverty or starving or having or not having health insurance? They mm-hmm. don't care about human rights abuses. This is cover. So don't even engage on this fighting. I, I would encourage everyone to just Pay no mind to this fighting authoritarianism around the world rhetorical device that progressives are falling for. It's so – it's such a trap. Just ignore it completely. That's exactly what I said about the uh, the AOC tweet last week. Like I I don't understand whose game she's trying to play. Uh, yeah, because right. who's, the, being, who's convinced by this? Right. Yeah. Like couching, couching your ideas in this like, well, and also anti-authoritarianism. It's like you're, <laughs> you're best served by pushing against the embargo. Past that, I – I don't understand what audience you're trying to play to with yeah. this like, well, we need to also like, you know, fight fight for the democratic state of Cuba. It's like these are reactionary, you gonna win over uh, some yeah, you're gonna win over some conservative progressives that I don't know about. Yeah, like these like these reactionary uh Cuban uh, immigrants in Miami who mm-hmm. were in fine form this week as being part of this like mostly astroturfed fake online uh operation which was clearly also taking place which is another avenue uh that i think was really uh, startling this week but yeah i'm sure these folks they're going to be super convinced by someone like aoc being like by the way we we need to end the embargo but yes authoritarian and we need to condemn the president we need to condemn uh, cuba's you know terrible authoritarianism and their human rights crimes none of these people are convinced like these people right. are completely in fine form this week i mean they're all calling for like bombing campaigns and military interventions because fidel like took away their grandfather's plantation and stuff mm. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're really, they're not convinced by this kind of equivocation. Finally, they've said the by, thing that I need to hear in order yeah, to, to exactly. flip now sides. I love, I love the Democratic Party now. <laughs> but it's amazing. I mean, it's just, it's not just this week, but you realize that this is the exact crowd that I feel like the Democrats feel the need to like appeal to always. And they can't ever go mm-hmm. to left because then we're going to turn off these like these these communities in Florida and we need to win Florida. Uh, that was the whole thing with the election, right? Oh, we can't nominate Bernie because he said nice things about Castro. And we're going to lose right. Florida. And as I recall, yeah, Biden, since he wasn't that, he's been kind of a staunch anti-communist his whole career. So of course, he just waltzed to an easy victory in Florida. I don't want to look up the, the exact, I don't recall exactly. <laughs> Exactly what happened yeah. i'm not gonna look it up that's the thing is like they don't they're not winning over these communities anytime soon but no. they still feel the need to ensure that they appeal first and foremost to these like very reactionary right-wing immigrant groups from cuba um in this vain effort to to eventually win florida in an election which doesn't seem like it's ever going to materialize anytime soon uh and like you're pointing out yeah it's just you're not convincing anyone all you're doing is diluting your very important message mm-hmm. about ending the blockade and when you looked at that statement the by aoc best serve uh these these groups which will you know be ending the blockade instead you're like well all right well what if i satisfy a couple of uh, reactionaries while i'm at it as well (laughs) yeah well that's that's it it's like you look at that statement and if you had taken away her her initial attempt to equivocate and condemn cuba it would have been a great statement 
Mm-hmm. Uh, she literally she she undercuts her own messaging when it comes to this kind of thing, um, saying things like, you know, it's this this embargo. It's cruel. And the cruelty is the point. But at the mm-hmm. same time, we've got to condemn we've got to condemn Cuba's government. But like you're literally admitting that it's your own government that's causing the problem. So instead of trying to appeal to these these conservative types who are who are terrified of the idea of socialism, you know, it would be nice to have these these kind of left leaning social democrat uh, members of the Democratic Party just focus on the thing that they control, uh, which is the fact that their government is is part of this this disastrous embargo that's been a a very cruel method of ensuring that. Cubans' lives are as difficult as possible and their economy is struggles as, as much as possible. Yeah, I'd like to Noah Colwin's tweet uh, on this type of language. People were saying, like, I think Chris Murphy said, what if the suffering of the Cuban people is caused by both a cruel backwards dictatorial regime and really bad U.S. policy? It <laughs> could be both, sides. right? Yeah. And Noah Colwin goes, uh, um... What if the ship's captain was really bad at steering, but also we've been shooting missiles at the ship for 60 years? It could be both, right? And that's like perfect encapsulation of, of, yeah. of this dynamic. And also, you know, shout out to Noah, whose uh, podcast Blowback Season 2 covers um, oh, man. C- it's, Cuba, it's been a the revolution. Of- and- I, I, was, I was talking about that. Like, uh, that came to Spotify, like three days after the the cuba situation started to emerge and i was like oh i i imagine uh noah and brendan both are just uh you know uh eyes eyes agape at uh how many people are kind of tuning into it like wait what's going on what yeah. did we do to cuba it is incredibly well done to well produce that everyone Absolutely. should check that if you want to if you want a historical grounding in the, the united states relationship to cuba and um how the revolutionary um war was was fought and won and also that the the changes that the castro government made in these early days of the revolution super super fascinating mm-hmm. um so i don't know where that's going to go next though uh it seems like the the organic part of the protests have kind of died down we should take some time to talk about also i think i, I mentioned it a couple minutes ago but the way that this was coupled with a very coordinated effort to have this this kind of social media campaign going along with it, and it it felt right, it, you know, it it did not feel like something that came up organically. We've there's been uh, articles that have come out uh, even a couple years ago about the United States' efforts to like influence politics in Cuba through social media um, and through these bot accounts, and I think we all saw that it was very kind of eerie actually the way it happened as soon as this story kind of hits. The mainstream it was coupled with this this very very uh, intense online push to push this this SOS Cuba hashtag and push these kind of stories and that's absolutely something that we're going to be seeing a lot more of when it comes to these kinds of color revolutions mm-hmm. um, moving forward. Yeah, I I, I saw a lot of um, I don't know I don't know I don't know I don't want to get too into the weeds on astroturf digital stuff but it is definitely it's definitely happening. Uh, Everyone is doing it. It's not coming from one specific country. It's not coming from one specific region. We certainly do it around the world and have been doing it around the world in different mediums and forms for decades. Um, I guess that's why it's kind of funny because you've seen it become such a big story like post after the 2016 election of Russia and other countries doing this exact kind of thing. Yeah, it's like Um, the war comes home. Yeah, as usual, America is the one, you know, doing it just as much or, or even more as anyone else. Yeah, it's just funny to see people with like accounts created and like july 2021 like firing off tweets about how they love the embargo right. and how it's, it's it protects cuba's economy <laughs> right yeah, Holy yeah. Shit. i made okay. an account just to talk about my grandfather that had a small dairy farm in 1958 <laughs> and then all yeah. of a sudden 
the darndest thing He was a humble, a humble police officer serving his community <laughs> under the Batista regime. Ah, uh, he was just a Batistiano from way back, and honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's the thing that I think everyone should take away, though, is that when they see this kind of thing come up, I mean, if you're in America, if you're in the West, um, we can point out all the ways that Cuba is experiencing legitimate issues, but the thing that we can control um, is the embargo and the sanctions. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, and frankly, I have people saying things to me like, actually, the embargo doesn't even affect the economy and it basically does nothing. So it's like, well, if that's the case, um, you, you can't really describe what's happening in Cuba currently as a failure of socialism because you have the most powerful country and the most powerful economy putting their thumb on the scale to ensure mm-hmm. that things don't work. So if you really want to own the, the Cuban communists and show that socialism doesn't work, well, you can own them yeah. by removing the get embargo. Of, yeah, get rid of that, that do nothing embargo. Embargo. Yeah, well, I'll see then that it makes no difference, then everything will continue to fail. Um, but so if people believe that they want to help Cuba, or if they want to help Cubans like improve their material conditions, that's how we can do it is by lifting the embargo. And we don't need to get too much further into the weeds uh, than, than that. I mean, that's the thing we can control. That's what the thing we should be advocating for. Totally. Totally. <sighs> you see you guys vaxxed? Hear about yeah. the Delta variant? I'm all about What do you think it. about that? I think yeah. I think it's solid, honestly. I'm I'm excited for there, you know, to just be uh, one for every day of the week. Just a, a variant that you can throw in on Monday and then you get a different one on Tuesday. Yeah. You know, I saw kind of things seeming like they were returning back to normal. You see you see uh sports stadiums start to fill up again. People are going mm-hmm. out. And I was like, oh, you know I mean, what? The... I feel like I need I think we need another couple of years of the isolation and the the lockdowns and the the masks. I want more of that. So I'm I, that's why I'm encouraged by well, it was, but these variants. it was the Bucks game last night, right? 36,000 people just Jesus. packed the gills. Yeah, yeah. Did you see the crowd outside too. It was enormous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, their vaccination rate is 51%. Cool. Yeah, so. One thing that I do that. find kind of interesting though is that, you know, obviously over the last six months, partially because Joe Biden is the one, you know, in, in charge of the, the government right now, it's become, because everything has to be spun into this culture war thing. Mm-hmm. So now you can't, you can't, you can just have like people saying, oh, yeah, we're going to go get vaccinated so we can fix this pandemic. Uh, whether it's climate change, whether it's this, everything has to turn into this like culture war battle. And we've seen the same thing happen with the vaccine. And it's become very popular on va- on right-wing media to raise doubts about the vaccine, to encourage people not to get it, to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, spread division when it comes to this, which is leading to this exact problem of not enough people getting the vaccine, which leads to more variants, which leads to more pandemic, more lockdowns, et cetera. Yeah. And one thing that is kind of interesting that happened uh, over the last week or so is you now see right-wing media as like Fox News in particular who have played a large role in spreading this kind of misinformation and making people doubt the idea of getting the vaccine. Um, a number of media figures and American like um, conservative political figures have started to really push people to get the vaccine, which has been kind of interesting to see. And I hope this is going to have an actual impact and that people are going to start listening to these folks. Um, what did you make of that though? And, and what do you think is behind Behind this shift that we've seen in the media and in politics, I saw Ron DeSantis as well push mm-hmm. open, like talking about people getting the vaccine today. Um, what do you think is behind this? Uh, well, I mean, I, you, you see some people uh, talking about the idea that uh, Dow dropped a couple hundred points on Monday on uh, on some of the news that uh, we're, we're seeing a rise in COVID numbers that we haven't seen since April. So obviously, I think there's a lot of hesitancy. Then that same evening, you see, uh, you know, not just uh, again like the the lower level uh, Fox News anchors, but even Hannity 
talking about, you know, vaccine responsibility and how people need to go out and not treat it like it's just some, uh, uh, some, some flu or something like that. So I think, I think they might be rightly worried that, uh, if we don't kind of correct course, we're absolutely, uh, on the way to another economic downturn, uh, that, that is solely now going to be placed on the conservatives. Uh, because their entire messaging up until now has been, well, who knows if these, va- I mean, you've had Tucker Carlson literally saying, hey, dozens of people might be dying from vaccines by the day, who knows? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I think they're trying to escape that messaging at this point, um, because there's there's nowhere to kind of turn now if we, if we have another uh, dip in uh, COVID. I mean, there's already... Uh, ICUs in places like uh, uh, I believe I believe Sacramento is uh, starting to get uh, full again. Um, that's you know that's that's going to spell uh, I think a a pretty uh, uh, bad portent for uh, a lot of conservatives that have taken a hard line on the anti-vax. The um, the the Dow dropping seven hundred points on Monday, which is the largest drop and worst market day of the year. I mm-hmm. think it was a was a pretty big moment for Republicans because ultimately, and I mean, in Congress at large, but especially Republicans, ultimately represent um, the interests of the corporate state and, and and capital in this country, and that hit home. That hit hard for a lot of for a lot of companies, and they saw uh, if this continues, they this was kind of a wake up call. If this continues, profits are going to get hurt, revenues are going to get hurt, dividends mm-hmm. are going to get hurt. All this kind of stuff. They don't give a shit if anyone's getting sick or dying, if it's your grandma or you or workers around the country. Oh, no. But their donors, mm-hmm. if, they, if it impacts their donors' wallets and they're responsible, then they're on the hook. That's that's the moment where it finally got serious for them. And the very next day, Steve Scalise, who's a you know top Republican in Congress, said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting vaccinated. It's serious. Everyone needs to do it. And it's because of the Delta variant. Like, specifically, not mincing words, naming it. And right. This is that was that was it. So uh, we're probably going to see a lot more of that. Ho- hopefully, it can mitigate what I think now is probably an inevitable because of mm-hmm. the way and how fast this spreads. It's just too late to just squash it. It's already here. It's now in D.C. It's what was I think infecting people on the Capitol and in the White House. Um, yeah, I mean, we were good. looking at three three percent of uh, COVID cases were Delta variant in April. Uh, now we're you know approaching upwards of 35 percent, I believe. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. You're talking about a rapidly uh, increasing, you know, uh, infection rate of this new variant amongst the the scores of unvaccinated we have here. It's uh, immensely worrying. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, this, I, I really fear if this if this continues to fester and people don't get vaccinated or because of the damage done by Republicans and their champions in the media trying to stigmatize vaccines or suggest that you don't need it or it's a matter of individual liberty or whatever that we see new new variants emerge um so this this is bad it could get worse again the solution is getting vaccinated but is is it too late i mean is the genie already out of the bottle Mm -hmm. well um that hopeful note is a is a good (laughs) place to leave it as any um it's just a typical insurgents episode which we can all leave feeling hopeful Uh about the future of America, humanity, I feel good. I know you guys do as well. 
Oh, Lucy, yeah, do you have yeah. anything positive you want to leave us with? What's your? Do you have a positive news story for us? Let's let's end on a positive. Lucy's note. really into boycotting Ben and Jerry's. I think, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh man, uh, <laughs> you you can't stop me from not. Well, I actually, it's it's funny. I did just uh, make my own ice cream. So, and that's I because of that. Ben and How Jerry's, obviously. That's great. I uh, you know, uh, somebody got me an ice cream maker, and I made my first uh, peanut nice. butter and blackberry jelly uh, oat milk ice cream. Let's go. That sounds are very you, wait, good. Wait, are you vegan? Uh, no, no, no. But my uh, my partner's uh, lactose intolerant, so. Oh, nice. Yeah, and being a chef, I get to uh, make a lot of cool stuff, just kind of outside the norm. So. Hell that yeah. sounds very good. Yeah. So there you go. There's a feel good thing. Ice cream is yeah. uh, pretty solid. Very cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Lucid, thanks so much for joining the show. It was great to uh, it was great to have you on to to break this stuff down. Yeah. Why don't you just let everyone know where they can find you on Twitch and all the other, anything else you want to plug before we say goodbye? Yeah, uh, so I'm uh, Twitch.tv slash LucidFox or just LucidFox.com. Uh, either one will take you to where I do my thing Monday through Friday, uh, five days a week in the mornings. And again, much better than Rob's. Just want to yeah. Hammer that well, point I mean. I mean, who's I do, I do have to say, on a serious note, obviously Jordan's <laughs> joking about the, the ribbing me and stuff. Mm-hmm. I do have to note, though, you know, I've been at this Twitch thing for like nine months, and I do really appreciate Lucid Fox um, mm-hmm. that you have, you've helped me out a ton in terms of helping to find an audience on Twitch with the raids yeah. and stuff. So I really do appreciate it. I got to thank you. Uh, thank you for the, the support you've shown. Hell yeah. Jordan usually just kind of makes fun of me and joins the chat yeah. sometimes and tries to organize yeah. the chat to uprise, uh, yep. do an uprising against me. So Sure, sure. It's called Makes organizing. Sense. It's Gears called organizing everywhere, sweaty. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot, Lucid. It was great to talk to you. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon, man. Take care. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban. So please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye. Goodbye.